This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend political junkie warriors. Item number one, another one bites the dust. U.S. Representative Paul Mitchell, Republican of the 10th Congressional District, which is basically the thumb area of Michigan and northern Macomb County, said this week he will not run for a third term. Now, Justin Amash, you're aware, uh, has not said he's not running again over in the 3rd Congressional District, Republican incumbent. But he said, I'm leaving the Republican Party. He's indicated so far he may run as an independent for re-election next year. That's his current plan. We'll see what happens. And by the way, uh, just two years ago, uh, U.S. Representative David Trott, a Republican from Oakland County in the 11th Congressional District, uh, he announced after a couple of terms uh, he'd had it in Washington. He was quitting at the end of his term, and that created an open seat, which, by the way, the Democrats won in 2018 with Haley Stevens uh, taking over for the Democrats, one of two Democrats to win previously Republican-held seats in Michigan going into 2018. So right now we've got seven Democrats in the Michigan congressional delegation in the U.S. House, and seven Republicans. It's tied for the first time in years. Now, why did Paul Mitchell quit? I mean, this is a man who seemingly wanted to be in Congress so badly that he ran in the 4th Congressional District in a Republican primary uh, back in, I think it was 2012, 14, I guess, and... uh, He lost in the primary to John Molinar, a state senator, and John Molinar went on to be elected congressman from the 6th congressional, excuse me, the 4th congressional district. Uh, Paul Mitchell then moved over to the 10th congressional district and established a residence in Dryden, and he ran uh, for an open seat in the 10th when Candace Miller, the longtime incumbent, announced she wasn't going to run again. She went back and was elected uh, Macomb County Public Works Commissioner. And Mitchell won that primary, and then he won the general election. It's a pretty strongly Republican seat. And he served two terms, and he spent $7.5 million of his own money combined in the two races he had uh, to get elected to Congress uh, in the 4th District uh And then again, when he ran in the 10th in 2016, it was elected. Um, And yet, after two terms, he said, I've had enough uh, rhetoric overpowers policy in Washington. Uh, Maybe it was because Paul Mitchell all of a sudden found himself in the minority. Democrats took control of the U.S. House of Representatives in the 2018 election. And after a number of years with the Republicans in the ascendancy, including during Paul Mitchell's first term, they found themselves in the minority. And maybe Paul Mitchell thought, you know, it's not looking good in terms of Republicans recapturing the majority, so I'm getting out. 
So what else is on the agenda? Item number two, Governor Gretchen Whitmer says now that she is open to listening to Republican legislators' proposals on teacher retirement pension debt payback as a way to raise money to fix the damn roads. Initially, she indicated she didn't like that idea, but now she says, okay, I'll listen to them. And I think that's probably a good idea because she has thrown out there 45 cent per gallon increase in the gas tax, not going over too well in the polls or in the state capitol, and she's got to raise money any way she can. She says, I'm willing to negotiate with the Republicans, and if they put out a proposal, um, she ought to at least indicate that she's interested in listening to it. The Republican proposal would basically say, we're not going to try and pay off this teacher retirement fund debt, which is accumulated to the tune of better than $30 million, uh, by 2038, which was the aim of departed Governor Rick Snyder. We could extend that five years, and we could raise maybe $400 million extra this year by doing so. We could push that back another uh, five years, a total of 10 years from 1038 up to 1048, and raise maybe $800 million that we could use to fix the damn roads this year. So Gretchen Whitmer says, okay, I'll look at this. I'll listen to them. We'll negotiate. Let's see if we can get a deal done by the start of the fiscal year on October 1st. We'll find out. Now, item number three, uh, finance reports have come in. Uh, for the State House of Representatives and the State Senate, Republicans and Democrats. Uh, House Speaker Lee Chatfield, a Republican from Levering, through his four committees, raised $337,945, nearly $340,000 during the second quarter of the year, according to campaign finance records. Now, why... Would he be doing this when he's in his final term, cannot seek re-election? Well, his spokesman said, quote, like most elected officials, Speaker Chatfield stays connected and attends the same local political functions as he did when he was a candidate in previous years, unquote. The man who is expected to probably be the next leader of the House Republicans, whether he's the Speaker or whether he's the minority leader depends on whether the Republicans retain control of the state house in the 2020 election. That's Jason Wentworth, a Republican of Clare, and he raised $37,000. That's a lot less than the speaker in his candidate committee. And he's got $23,000 cash on hand and change. Uh, He raised $100,000 in his leadership pack called the Wentworth Majority Fund, and he has $77,000 on hand in that and some change. The House Minority Leader, Christine Gregg, she's a Democrat of Farmington Hills, she raised $38,000 and change in her candidate committee and $23,000 in her leadership pack. Between the two, she has about $5,000 on hand. Well, of course, she's in her third term, and she can't run again. There are three... uh, Democrats also interested in being the either minority leader or the speaker, depending on who 
gains control of the chamber in 2020. One is Donna Lasinski of Sio Township. She had a big quarter. She raised $60,000 in her candidate committee, and she has uh, nearly $28,000 cash on hand. Uh, she raised uh, 46000 for her leadership pack, and she has $100,000 on hand in that. The House Minority Floor Leader, Yusuf Rabi, a Democrat of Ann Arbor, same county as Donna Lasinski, but a different district, uh, he raised less than she did. I won't go into the figures. We're running out of time on this segment. Uh, the third candidate who's interested in leadership, Representative Julie Brixey, a Democrat of Okemos, uh, she raised $10,000 in her candidate committee. She has only $375 left in cash. She raised another nearly $25,000 in her leadership pack, the Julie Brixey Blue Wave Fund, which has $31,000 in hand there. Uh, Overall, Republicans outraised Democrats as a caucus, uh, about four to one in the House. And uh, over in the Senate, they outrage the Republicans outraised the Democrats about three to two uh, in terms of what they actually got in the quarter, and they have a eight to one cash advantage. But of course, the Senate does not run in 2020; they don't run until 2022. So there's a long time left for the Senate. So those are the figures, and uh, those are some of the things we're looking at this week. I'll be back with a couple of guests. We're going to talk Democratic presidential politics. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with our first guest, and she is Jen Iyer. She's a partner with Vanguard Public Affairs based in Lansing, but I think Jen Iyer actually operates out of Ann Arbor. Is that correct, Jen Iyer? That is correct. I do most of my work down here in Ann Arbor. I've got uh, some clients down here, and I, I come up to Lansing a couple days a week um, to check in and see what's going on up there. But, yeah. Hey, I'm glad to find people outside of Lansing doing some work. <laughs> In southeast yes. Michigan, you got to cover the territory down there. Look, uh, and, and and they do, they do say that we have a different perspective here in Ann Arbor. Uh, yeah, they do, <laughs> and and for that reason, uh, I want to ask you what your opinion is, uh, whether it's from Ann Arbor or like a bird in the sky looking down at the entire map of Michigan. What about all these Democrats running for president? Uh, they met at the NAACP. National Convention in Detroit this week. A few of them uh, showed up, about half maybe, for a presidential forum. Did you uh, tune in on that, see it live stream, or get feedback on how people did? Uh, what what What's your reaction to that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I, I didn't watch the live stream, but I was caught um, snippets and, and, more importantly, looking at reactions um, from folks. And, and And what I think is, Right now, I will just say I think we suffer from an embarrassment of riches uh, when it comes to our Democratic Party candidates because there are so many strong candidates uh, covering the gamut from the far left to the center, and uh, we have many months to go. 
but I think that the candidates are really starting to differentiate themselves in forums like this and in the debates, um, and uh, we're, we're just going to see them continue to sharpen their skills. Um, but there, there certainly are some that are, that are coming out uh, to be favorites in, in forums like this. So, um, so it's, it's, it's interesting to see, and, and it's interesting to, to see uh, people here in Michigan start to divide themselves into to camps, if you will. How about the female candidates in the race? Um, how did they seem to do before the NAACP this week? Uh, you've got Amy Klobuchar. You've got Elizabeth Warren. Uh, you've got uh, Tulsi Gabbard. You've got Kirsten Gillibrand. You've got Kamala Harris. I don't think I'm missing anybody. Are there five women, I think, out of the 20 that I think are going to be in the debates next week in the race right now? I think you covered Oh, Marianne Williamson. Marianne Williamson. Yeah. Yeah. So she's a six. Yes. Right. So so Um, what's your reaction? Well, I think we're seeing Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren really pull out ahead of the the pack, not just among the women, but among um, everyone. Um, They are where the energy is right now. And you've got a little bit of a different constituency for each, but those 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 are the two candidates that I'm really watching right now because uh, they've got the momentum, and um, uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see in the debate how they uh, differentiate themselves and and what sort of tactics they take um, to you know that'll be a little different than what they did in Miami. Jen Iyer, I heard from a couple of reporters this week who were actually present at the NAACP presidential forum, and they said Amy Klobuchar did not do well, in their opinion. Did you have any impression on how she performed? Were they wrong in their assessment or not, these reporters? No, I don't think they were wrong. I, Amy Klobuchar has her strength is being very centrist and trying to appeal uh, as as someone who isn't going to scare anyone away from voting for Democrats, unfortunately, that's not the type of persona or presence that really inspires passion um, and inspires people to want to get out there and knock doors for someone and go to the ends of the earth to make sure they get elected. And I, I think that's kind of what people are reacting to when, when you hear things like this, that uh, she's fine. The things that she says are fine, but they're not particularly inspiring. Well, looking ahead to the um, debates coming up next Tuesday and Wednesday, that would be the 30th and 31st of July. Um, the lineups were announced uh, last week and only 20 candidates qualified. They were selected based on a combination of polling performance and grassroots fundraising a few who did not make the cut this time were Joe Sestak, Seth Moulton, and Tom Steyer, the California billionaire who has just announced his candidacy on July 9th. Now, like the first debates, there are going to be 10 candidates each night. But as I understand it, unlike the first debates, CNN, which is the sponsor of the debates coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday in Detroit, tried to evenly split them between the two nights based on how well the candidates were polling. For example, 
each debate has two from what are considered to be the top tier um, of candidates, and that's Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Then three each from the second tier and five from what are considered the third tier. Um, So the first night, uh, Tuesday, and then the second night, uh, 10 more candidates. How do you look at all that as it shapes up? Well, the the top-tier candidates are where most of the interest is, of course. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how Kamala Harris handles being on stage again with Joe Biden after being quite tough with him and on him and his record last time. I think she has a particular challenge to continue to maintain her her strong stance and 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 to be tough uh, because that's what people are looking for when when it comes to taking on Trump. But she can't. I don't think she can continue to rail on uh, Joe Biden's record. So she's going to have to find another way um, to maintain that tough persona. It's it's sort of a tough but a friendly. She has a, just a real interesting mix of qualities, um, which is which is why I think that she's uh, got some of the momentum right now. Um, yeah. The other, I think, interesting contrast is going to be between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who will share the stage for the first time uh, in this uh, in this realm. And the two of them have very similar constituencies. But again, Elizabeth Warren seems to have a little bit of the momentum because uh, she's come out with so many plans and so many policy statements that are really bold. And I think for her, the challenge is going to be um, really differentiating herself on a personal level um, from Bernie. She has a very different style. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see, especially here in Michigan, where Bernie Sanders, of course, did win the Democratic primary, and he has a lot of support still. But it does seem to be that some of that support is, is peeling off and, and going to her, Um, Some of it is going to Joe Biden as well for different reasons. But some of that progressive, uh, particularly with progressive women, peeling off a little bit and going to Elizabeth Warren. So that's going to be interesting to see. You have been listening to Jen Iyer, partner with Vanguard Public Affairs, giving her assessment not only of the NAACP presidential forum in Detroit uh, this past week, but her... uh, vision of what it might be like Tuesday, Wednesday at the debates um, in Detroit at the Fox Theater, by the way, I might mention. Thank you so much, Jen Iyer. Great to be with you. We'll be back. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with an encore performance with political guru Mark Grebner. Mark, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on. Well, Mark has many titles. He's uh, an elected Ingham County Commissioner on the Democratic ticket. In fact, he's one of the longest-serving county commissioners in the state at this point. He's also, and this used to be his favorite title, Michigan's leading political list broker. Is that still accurate, Mark? Do you claim that title? I guess I'd claim it. I don't know if there's anybody else in the market anymore. <laughs> it's sort of 
I don't know. It just seems less central to the world. Well, you, dro- you drove not them that out, big a deal. You drove them out of business, probably. That's it. You're the only I, game in town. I think events drove them out of business, but yes. Okay. Well, Mark is uh, with Practical Political Consulting, uh, which used to be headquartered above Pinball Pete's in East Lansing, but has now moved to Lansing. Is that correct? You haven't moved again, have you? No, no. We're, we're, I don't think we could move. I think that the owner bought the building, and so we're, <laughs> we're going to be there forever. Okay, well, I want to talk about the upcoming Democratic uh, presidential debates on Tuesday or Wednesday next week, uh, July 30th and 31st. Now, they're hosted by CNN. They're going to be held in the Fox Theater in Detroit. Uh, The lineups that have been announced uh, include 20 candidates who qualified, and they were selected based on a combination of polling performance and grassroots fundraising. A few who did not make the cut were Joe Sestak, Seth Moulton, and Tom Steyer, the California multi-billionaire who announced his candidacy as recently as July 9th. They're not in the debate, those three, but almost everybody else you can think of that you seen in print or seen on TV over the past few months is going to be in the debate. Now, like the first debates, there will be 10 candidates each night. But unlike the first debates, CNN tried to evenly split them between the two nights based on how well they were polling. For example, each debate has two from the top tier of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. Then there are three each from what is called the second tier. I'm not even sure which that is. And five from the third tier. Um, So I ask you, Mark Grebner, uh, going into this, what do you see and what do you expect on Tuesday and Wednesday? Uh, I expect all of them to remember their talking points and also to remember not to repeat themselves and remember to ignore all the questions. <laughs> um, it, it seems to be the ground rules for these. So, so I think that we will have them each recite their talking points, including talking points that involve attacking one of the front runners. So somebody will find something mean to say about Kamala Harris, and several people will say something about Joe Biden that will be indirect but snarky. And uh, I'm sure Elizabeth Warren will face some criticism, maybe indirect. And other than that, everybody will just go on about their visions for America and, and the struggles of the work of the middle class and, and their own background uh, rising from trailer park uh, resident to, uh, to U.S. Senate or whatever they've done. You know, Mark, back in 2016, I think there were 17 Republican candidates for their party's nomination, and everybody thought, holy mackerel, this is impossible to get your arms around so many candidates. Well, now in 2020, you've got way more Democrats run for their party's nomination than the Republicans had three years ago. Uh, It's up to 25 The last count I saw, five apparently will not be included in this debate, the three I mentioned and two others. Uh, How can the public cope with this plethora of names and people out there that it's so hard to really 
get a grip on and understand and get to know these people at all. And, you know, if they don't do well in these debates, particularly on Tuesday and Wednesday this next week, they may be gone forever. Well, in the first place, my favorite person who won't be there is Mike Gravel, because I, I remember him running, I think, in 1980 or so. And, of course, he was one of the the people who released the Pentagon Papers, which would have been back in, what, 74, roughly. So what's that, 45 years ago? Then right. he was already being a pain. And so I, he, he anyway, he, he won't be on the stage uh, next week either. Um, the answer for the average voter is that, fortunately, many of these people will simply die in the desert, and their corpses will litter some some obscure trail uh, where they will, their bones will be bleached in the sun, and they'll become fodder for trivia questions, like name all the Democrat candidates for president and who made the debate in Detroit. Uh, next year, or two years from now, that'll be a very difficult question. Uh, I don't think either you or I could actually name all 20 right now without a list, but maybe you could. Uh, so anyway, the, the, the answer for the average Democratic voter is just to endure it, and eventually the, the crowd will winnow. I, I think it's impressive that the Democratic Party has gotten so good at handling 20 candidates, sort of like they rent buses and move them around, and they've widened the stages, and and they have more dressing rooms available on site. And I mean, they've just they've just prepared for this as if it's a an institutional condition that that you'll end up with basically as many uh, candidates as there are members of a of a football team, a, a college football team that's traveling. Right, it's about the size of the of the road uh, uh, team for for a a mid-sized college football team. <laughs> well, you know, um, I mentioned earlier that CNN split the top tier candidates to a piece um, over the two nights. In uh, the first night, Tuesday, July thirtieth, they're going to have Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in the same lineup. And the second night, they're going to have uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. Uh, the first night, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. Now, they're going to be there. And here are the other candidates on that night. This is Tuesday, July 30th. Steve Bullock, who is the governor of Montana. Pete Buttigieg, who is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. A former representative from Maryland, John Delaney. Uh, former governor of Colorado, John Hickenlooper, U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, former U.S. Representative Beto O'Rourke of Texas, uh, current U.S. Representative Tim Ryan from Ohio. And then finally, we shouldn't forget her, and the Republicans apparently are contributing to try and make her do as well as possible. They seem to like her a little bit. Mary Ann Williamson. So those are the other eight outside of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren on opening night. Do any of those people jump out at you? Is there anybody who could be elevated into the top tier between now and the Democratic National Convention next summer? You mean at the bottom six? I'd say Buttigieg is already sort of a contender, right? Okay, you think and, maybe he's just outside the top four. Yeah, 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 I think that I, I agree with 538.com's analysis there. I mean, he's sort of intriguing and appealing, and and you know the other ones, uh, there there are going to be events occur. You know, there'll be somewhat unexpected be plot twists, and 
maybe the next chapter opens up and Pete Buttigieg is, is in second place in Iowa or something. Yeah, Who knows? Yeah, exactly. The next night, um, we're going to take a break here and get to that next night with Mark Grebner. We'll be back in just a minute. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back with political guru and Democratic Ingham County Commissioner Mark Rebner talking about the upcoming Democratic presidential debates in the Fox Theater in Detroit next Tuesday and Wednesday, the 30th and 31st of July. We just talked about Tuesday July 30th, the first debate, the 10 people in that. Now, let's talk about the second night. Now, that's where you've got Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who probably provided the uh, most heavily uh, covered and talked about uh, highlight of the first debate, um, their exchange um, on civil rights and busing. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they're in the second debate. But the other candidates um, are, and I'm going to list them here, uh, current U.S. Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado, uh, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, U.S. Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey, Julian Castro, who's a former uh, cabinet official, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who's a U.S. representative from Hawaii, Jay Inslee, who is the governor of Washington State, and then Andrew Yang. Who is Yang? Who is Andrew Yang? So these eight candidates are the ones beside Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I'll just ask you, Mark Grebner, is any one of these likely to pop out of of nowhere, seemingly, uh, after they perform next Wednesday? I, I don't think there's anybody in that slate who's likely to make it uh, on, you know, is likely to still be a viable candidate, say in in uh, February of 2020. But we, you know, weirder things have happened. Yeah, when you uh, look at all these candidates, it almost if you're a marketing genius, um, and you could have thought of this back in 2016, you might have uh, gone in the direction of uh, what bobbleheads for these candidates yeah. or something. Yeah, right? I, I've thought it, it's really too bad that somebody, maybe me, but somebody didn't have a source of really good bobblehead manufacturing because there's just a, it just calls out for the 26 of them or however many there are to be carefully uh, uh, mimicked and, and they could be a set and you could move them or you give them to children. You could put them on, on display cases. They could be in retail stores, amusing people. You could move them around. You could arrange them for the debates. There's just so many things you could do with them as toys. I don't know that the 26 of them make any sense except as a as a phalanx, uh, 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 like a battalion of bobbleheads. <laughs> uh, when you look at this field of 20 uh, spread over the two nights, 10 on each night, uh, six are female. Now, do you think 
pretty clearly at this point uh, Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren have separated themselves from the other four females who are Amy Klobuchar and Marianne Williamson and Tulsi Gabbard and Kirsten Gillibrand? Oh, oh sure. I mean, the, the more recent polling, and I'm sure everybody sees it all the time, has uh, Warren and uh, Harris in double digits, you know, 12, 14, 16 percent of the Democratic primary vote, which, you know, it's like a real number. And everybody else is clustered somewhere between one and zero. I mean, there, there really aren't any five and tens in there. So there's a very wide gap. I mean, one can imagine taking 14 percent and doing well and getting through Iowa with a win or a second place and going to New Hampshire. And I mean, you can put together a drama there. It's very hard to do that from 1%, you know? I mean, right. Well, I, just, I don't know what you do with 1% other than <laughs> stay in the race for a while, hoping that everybody is, is uh, uh, on a plane that goes down or something. Implodes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Joe Biden, now, he got a lot of criticism in the first debate. Uh, everybody thought he took a real hit and that he was not performing at a top level. Um, yeah. He seems to have recovered somewhat, done some damage control between the first debate and this upcoming one next Wednesday, the 31st. Uh, what do you think is in this for him? I mean, can he afford to have a second mediocre or poor debate? Well, his problem is that, that his performance uh, reminds people of his greatest weakness. I mean, he basically carried a, was wearing a T-shirt that said, I'm old and confused. Um, and... <laughs> You know, he's a guy who has a discipline problem anyway, and the whole Uncle Joe shtick is becoming Grandpa Joe. I happen to be a Biden supporter, but but he he can't do anything that continues to draw attention to his weakness. I mean, somebody else who had the same kind of performance might easily have survived it, although, of course, he, he's, he can survive it more easily because he's so far ahead in the polls, but... but if it didn't play into their their known weakness, so he's got to he's got to have a performance that kind of tells people that he's still there and he's still with it, and that he's not dozing off during the debate. And he kind of gave some indications of of you know of, of just dozing. <laughs> Do you think it's a case, uh, as many people thought it might be from the very beginning? Uh, of Joe Biden simply being able to survive this incredible, intense uh, run-up to the primaries early next year and then the convention uh, next summer, uh, fending off all these aggressive candidates to his left and then emerging as the nominee and being the Democrat best positioned to beat Donald Trump in November, which is what? Democrats really want to do next year. Right. I, I think that Biden has a pretty clear uh, uh, potential game plan ahead of him. You know, the, the Democratic primary electorate is quite a bit more moderate than the candidates are that are out there. On the average, the candidates take positions well to the left of the typical Democratic voter. I mean, so, so it, Biden has an advantage that there really isn't any place for him to lose votes to. If you decide that you don't like Biden because or you're afraid that Biden isn't strong enough and you're a moderate, well, who do you go to? Who's the other moderate in the race? I can't even think who it is. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. And, and so you're sort of trapped. You go back to Biden over and over again. Um, 
and so he has that that kind of built-in advantage. He also has the electability built-in advantage. And and in order for that to work, all he has to do is he has to get through without again devolving into the the Grandpa Joe shtick too far. You know, like losing his glasses on stage, or <laughs> you know, wondering you know maybe coming in with a walking stick, or telling the same story twice to people or something. I mean. And so far, he has not he has not cleared that hurdle very convincingly. Don't you think? But if he can do it, I think he's got I think he's got a clear shot to the nomination. Yeah, don't you think these candidates must be tearing their hair? Uh, not Joe Biden, but the rest of them. Because he doesn't have any hair, you mean? Well, no, because he's well known. He's got high name ID. That's one of the reasons I think he's the favorite. He is, but the fact that the so-called squad, the squad. The Big Four, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, uh, you know, we've seen the names here. Um, they're getting more publicity. They actually have higher name ID right now than most of these candidates who are going to be debating sure. on Tuesday and Wednesday. Yep, yeah, and and they are very far to the left of the Democratic electorate. I mean, they're, they're the Twitterverse, right? Right. The, 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 whole, the whole echo chamber of leftish opinion uh, supports them, supports itself, uh, reinforces that message over and over again, and criticizes people like Biden in terms that actually drive additional votes to him. I mean, saying things like, Joe Biden, he had he was squishy on busing. Well, those of us who know what busing was, I mean, which isn't that many people anymore, but actually remember the, the uh, controversy, you know, the fact that Joe Biden was squishy on it and played both sides, a lot of people thinking, well, yeah, I can understand that. Sure, that, you know, that's, that's pretty much where we all were. <laughs> well, you know, so, so they're very leftishness. By God, we've got to wipe out, says Bernie, we've got to wipe out uh, in, uh, private insurance, private health insurance. And all of America says, what? What did he say there? What? And, and you know, so... The leftishness there is is really one of Joe's advantages as it kind of grinds on because it not only says to people, these people don't exactly agree with you about issues, but also these people are doing things that might be dangerous to the Democratic ticket in the fall. Now, and so it makes Biden so well positioned to be that moderate, reassuring figure. Now, if he would just stop falling asleep on stage, that would be, you know, <laughs> we'd have it all. Well, look. That could be true, but also I think the squad has pulled everybody to the left in the Democratic Party. They're forced to respond to the squad constantly, and they're afraid, apparently, to stand up to them, except maybe Joe Biden. Well, I, I, I think that's true of the candidates. I don't think it's true of the public and the voters. Okay, well, listen, we can go on talking about this forever, but you've given a great overview of the situation. Uh, thank you very much, Mark Rebner, political guru with Practical Political Consulting. We'll be Thanks back next week. Me. Our pleasure. Thank you, Mark. <laughs>